0: Let's go ahead and stand as we get started tonight. Everybody okay? Hey, man, y'all are for quiet. I hope you guys are better online. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's open up in prayer. How many have a prayer request you'll just signify by lifting your hand? Uh, some of you probably have heard that uh, there was a, a, fat- a fatal accident on 67 between here and Alvarado, and there is a connection with someone here in our church. Uh, it was a mother and a daughter, right, That was that was killed. So, uh, so we want to uh, lift that family up in prayer. Uh, I went by, saw Glenda today, and she is doing remarkably well. Uh, had my post op visit today, and Doc gave me a clean bill of health, at least for this week. So praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, so, Amen. Well, you know, hey, thank, thank God for His faithfulness. Amen. Let's just pray, Father, tonight. We're just so grateful, Lord, that You're that strong tower that we can run to. Thank You for the privilege to come together and study your word and to 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 just fellowship together. Uh, Lord, you said as we see that day approaching, Lord, we're to do it more and we need each other. And I thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and just encourage one another and again to study your word. And I thank you that we can bring our petitions and supplications and make them known to you. And I pray for every hand that went up in the building, uh, those that are online tonight, Lord, I pray that no matter what it is that we would have confidence, Lord, that you hear us when we pray and you move in response to those prayers. I pray uh, lord, for that family that uh, just involved in that fatal accident, Lord, I pray for the extended family and all those involved, Lord, I pray God that you would uphold them with your powerful right hand, and that you would uh, lord you would just send the the Holy Spirit to be that comforter during this time of loss. I uh, pray for those that need a healing touch, Lord Lord, I just thank you for the miracle stories that we hear. Lord, we just ask you to continue to do what only you can, bring healing to sick bodies. I pray for those in the hospital, those. Uh, recovering, Lord, those that are facing procedures. Lord, we just lift them up to you and ask you to get involved. And we pray, uh, Lord, as we move into this holiday season with Thanksgiving next week, for those that will be traveling, that your hand of protection would be upon them. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll be with all the ministries that are taking place tonight uh, across this campus. Lord, just be exalted and lifted high in all things and be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. Maybe may be seated. Um, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And while you're turning there, um, don't forget tomorrow is the senior luncheon. It is the Thanksgiving feast <laughs> um, tomorrow. So so come on out and have a good time fellowshipping, fun food, and fellowship. You know, that all goes together. Uh, that's tomorrow. And then also uh, don't forget um uh, Next Wednesday night, we won't be having our midweek service, uh, with it being Thanksgiving. Uh, we won't have midweek service next week. And then on December the 4th, that's two weeks from Sunday, uh, we're going to be having an illustrated sermon the first Christmas, the first one we've ever done for Christmas, and uh, looking forward to it. Um, again, we always look for opportunity to, to just do something. Uh, I, I like to, if you can't tell, I like to be busy. Uh, so, so having to to stay home the last few days in recovery uh, has not been a, it's been a challenge, I'll put it that way. I don't know that uh, I'm designed to lay around, <laughs> you know, if if heaven was sitting on a cloud eating bonbons, I don't know that I'd do very well. Uh, so, anyway, um, on the 2nd of December, I'll just back up a couple of days, we're having our snow hill at the Hewland Park, and I did get today... I did get an email with the site, basically where we're going to be, the location. It's going to be on Hillsborough Street, right by the pavilion there. So right there at Hewlin Park, we'll be on the street. And so if you want to help out uh, with that, 6 to 10 is the hours of operation we'll be doing that night. Uh, again, just going to be a great time of uh, blessing the community and being a part of the Whistle Stop Christmas Parade. Uh, so tonight, let's get into our, our word. We're, we're on Portraits of Christ and, again, we're looking at these snapshots of his life um, and, and how Jesus interacted with people. And, again, how many how many's ever had somebody push your buttons? <laughs> yeah. yeah, some of them, they park on that thing, don't they? Um, you know, so, so we want to learn how to be Christ-like because, um, I, you know, we live in a world today that's to me, is just a powder keg. It's a powder keg. And the Bible says it's a soft answer that turns away wrath. Uh, so uh, I, I remember when I was working uh, w- for the city of Irving, uh, right off the bat they sent me to a class that was called Verbal Judo. And the idea behind it was how to how to, uh, de-escalate conflict. When you get into a, you know, if you're going to to do some inspections or enforce a code or whatever, then people aren't always that amenable to it. So so they wanted you to be able to de-escalate uh, situations, and I think that, you know, looking at some snapshots of Jesus helps us deal with some, uh, he was always having people approach him, and not everybody was on the bandwagon, and so how Jesus handled himself, conducted himself, is a great example for us, and I know this is not part of the Gospels, but it does give us some insight, and my, my teaching tonight is for the love of God. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 16. Begin reading, says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. May the Lord add His blessing to His Word tonight. How many's ever heard of the phrase "for the love of God"? Yeah, uh, you know most of us probably have have heard that phrase, and most often when that phrase is used, it's it's has nothing to do with the love of God. <laughs> that's that's not what it it's that's not what it's about. Often it's used really almost in kind of a profane sense. Um, you know to emphasize a, a point, uh, but the person probably has no concept of what God's love is all about. Um, listen, I think that for the so so I'm going to use that phrase a lot tonight. But I think for the love of God, Christian the Christian community should be doing more to touch lives in this hurting, wounded world that we live in. Again, for the love of God, we ought to be out in the highways and byways, uh, sharing the light of Jesus Christ in a dark world. You know when I, I I'll tell you the story. When I moved to Dallas, uh, I grew up in Mobile. and, Of course, I lived in I lived in West Mobile. So when I grew up, I lived in the country, uh, West Mobile, out close toward the Mississippi line. Um, I never really saw a lot of. I know Mobile was it's not a super large city, but it's it's a it's a decent sized uh, city. Um, but I never really saw a lot of like homeless thing. You know, homeless people and. Things like that. It just, you know, that was just something that I never. I thought it was like Los Angeles and New York and places like that. When I moved to Dallas, I would drive downtown uh, Dallas, and just about every overpass there would be somebody standing out there. Uh, you know, I'd never seen that before, and they would have their sign, "Please help." You know, we'll work for food or hungry or something like that. And 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 I'll be honest with you. When I first saw that, it, it broke my heart, and I thought, wow you know, here we are in such an advanced society and we can't take care of people. And it kind of broke my heart. Uh, and and so, you know, I drove past that for a few days and then I determined, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. You know, I knew that there were soup kitchens and there were shelters and, you know, part of me, I just reasoned that I, I just kind of thought that there would be plenty enough help. But the more, I bu- the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, I ought to be doing something. You know, it's so easy to to push people off on others to help, and I thought you know I ought to be doing something and again i 'd never been exposed to that, so it's a whole it 's a whole new thing for me, and so I made up my mind that the next time I saw a homeless person, I was going to do something to help them, and sure enough, the next day I saw the same person standing there with that sign, so I pulled up, rolled down my window, and gave him ten dollars and uh, and went on, and I felt pretty good about myself until i got to work and started telling people, and they said, don't ever give anybody like that money. I mean, again, I'm just telling you what I was told. I was pretty ignorant of all that. They said, don't give them money. They probably are using drugs or something like that, and you're just helping feed their habit. And I thought, well, how can I help them? Again, i moved with compassion. How can I help somebody like that? So then I had this bright idea. I thought, you know what, I'll go to the store, and I'll buy these bags of, of, you know, non-perishable food. I'll buy you know, you can get Dennymore beef stew. You can get Hormel chili. You can get things like that. And I thought, I'll just get bags of food, and I'll just hand a bag of food out the window. And, uh, and sure enough, I, you know, I did that. Um, and, you know, and, and again, there are a lot of people that look at a situation like that, and they say, well, they got what's coming to them. And again, we have to be very careful. Uh, how many of you ever heard the phrase compassion overload or compassion fatigue? Uh, compassion fatigue, basically what it is, is that particularly in disaster uh, situations, if, you, if you're if you like an, uh, a first responder or somebody like that that is always going out on emergency calls, there can be a compassion overload where you're always in a situation where somebody needs something, somebody needs help of some type. And, and, and again, the, we have to be careful because all around us there's human need, right? I mean, everywhere we turn, We find human need. We find people that are struggling. We find people, again, for whatever reason, but we have to be careful that we don't step back and say, well, what put you there? It was your choices and your decisions that got you there. And we have to be careful about developing a callous heart. You know, and again, going back to for the love of God, we should care. Again, for the love of God, the church of Jesus Christ should care about our fellow man, for the love of God, we should try and dare dare to offer a helping hand to those who need it. For the love of God, we should refuse to become cold and callous to those around us that are hurting and destitute. I uh, I appreciate all the ministries, um, you know, that that have sprung up. I know we're part of the Runners Refuge. We support them through our missions program, and they, uh, you know, they have church every weekend uh, under the bridge. They have, and and there are several pl- ministries that do that. Uh, John is converting right now, uh, an apartment complex there in in Oak Cliff. We've done some work for him there on that apartment complex. Again, trying to help those who are down on their luck, those who are destitute. Uh, and, and and again, you you could sit there and and come up with a million reasons why you shouldn't do it, but for the love of God, we ought to be reaching out to those hurting. That's why we go out and we give out food you know and 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 i remember when we first started uh the food program back a couple years ago uh i'd have people say pastor you know look at what they're driving they don't really need food and i thought well i i can't really make that judgment cuz did somebody loan them that car you know again i i, I you know i just had i want to be careful about judging because i don't know what their need is I don't know the situation. Again, it would be easy for me to sit there and say, well, if you'd sell that and buy a pinto, you would be all right. You could have, nah, you know, I'm just being facetious there. Um, you know, as we continue with our portraits of Jesus, I, this lesson tonight, I want us to look at how Jesus loved and what it means to love one another. Because I think the world has a really perverted definition of what love is. And, and so in this portrait tonight, I want us to look at what the Bible says, how Jesus loved and, and, and in, in turn what it means for us. First of all, let's talk about what love is. What is love? You know, you heard me say when I preached earlier this year on our family series that love, you know, people, uh, you know, to hear it spoken today, we fall in love and we fall out of, love, out of love. That's not love. That's not love. Marriages are not held together by love. Marriages are held together by commitment. Love is the reward for commitment. That, that's, that's, you know, you don't hear that. But when I married Sheila, I committed to her. I love her, and, but I committed to her. And I'm sure in our almost 36 years, of uh, in our over 36 years of marriage, there have been times she wanted to kill me, and there have probably been times I wanted to kill her two or three or four or five times. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I committed to her. I committed to her. And fast forward, and through all the challenges that we've gone through in our in our marriage and how it's evolved, I love, I have a love for her that I can't even describe. Uh, and, and, and so, a lot of times in our culture today, we feel, we think that love is this somehow mushy-gushy emotion that causes our heart to skip a beat when we get around that special person. That's not love. That's not love at all. So So, you know... You think about the concept of love. Probably more has been written about love than any other topic. More ink has been spent on the topic of love. I mean, you think about in February you have that famous holiday. What is it? Valentine's Day. So you million millions of Valentine cards will be purchased to cap and, and, and they'll be they'll be produced trying to capture the meaning of love and yet it still remains an enigma. We can't define it. We don't know what it is. So much so that uh, you think about love, that there are very few sociolog- uh, sociologists and, and psycho- psychologists, there are very few that can really come up with a very good, uh, solid definition of what love is because it's it's very difficult. We think that we know what love is, and we toss that word around kind of like a cliche, but do we really know what love is? See, John, right off the bat, tells us what love is. I mean, he kind of cuts through all of the the... Uh, what is it, superfluous stuff, he cuts through all of that stuff and he tells us what love is. Look at what he said in verse 16. He said, this is how we know what love is. Okay, there you go. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's it. What do we, so, so what is love? Jesus Christ laid, this is the clearest and most succinct definition or manifestation of love that humanity has ever known. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. And God loved us so much. What did Paul say? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is how, this is how we know love. Through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. He took our place on an old rugged cross. He gives us the perfect picture and definition of love. This is not because we deserved it has nothing to do with how we deserve it, not because we earned it, but like I said Sunday, but just because he loved us, just because he loved us. So, so how should we respond in light of such love? What is the proper etiquette? Should we give more money when the offering plate is passed? Should we spend another hour in prayer? Should we write a love song and sing it to Jesus? How do you respond to someone who loved us enough to give himself in our place? Well, John answers that too. He says, for the love of God, verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. There it is. For the love of God, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And I know what you're thinking. like, wow, preacher, that's a, that's a tall prescription, right? I mean, that's a tall prescription. John, uh, John is saying that, the lo- that for the love of God, we ought to lay down our lives for others. Is that even possible? I mean, I mean, what does it mean? John, listen, John's not suggesting, okay, let me just cut through the chase. John's not suggesting that our death uh, would purchase the salvation of another, nor is he suggesting that we should become a martyr to kind of even the score. That's not really what he's suggesting. John isn't talking about killing ourselves or becoming a martyr. He's speaking more practical terms about laying aside our rights, our desires, our plans to give our lives in service to our brothers. That's what he's talking about. You know, the Bible says we are to live others-oriented. That's, that's the picture here. Laying down our lives for our brethren, what does it mean? It means putting them ahead of us. It means esteeming them more than, our, more than us, living others-oriented. That's what Paul's talking about. See, uh, uh, again, for the love of God, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to be engaged in their, in, in their walk with the Lord, and we ought to be engaged in their daily lives. Because God, while we were yet sinners, did what? Sent His only begotten Son to die for us. Why? Because He loved us. So what is love? Love is the sacrificial giving, serving, however you want to define it. It's that sacrificial giving, serving to another, just like Jesus did. What does love do? Number two. Well, laying down our lives, again, sounds philosophical and hypothetical enough to embrace, and yet if I just embrace a theological concept or uh, a, a psychological concept or some, you know, if I, some some theme, if I just embrace it but I never do anything, that's all it is. You know, it's easy to ascend and say, oh, yeah, that's what love is. It's about serving humanity. It's about reaching out to them. But if I never put action to it, guess what? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. They're... they're Listen, there are friends in my life whom I love, and I tell them. I try to tell. I enjoy telling people I love them. You know, it's kind of funny because we live in a culture today that some people are uncomfortable with that. They're uncomfortable. That's okay. I still love you anyway. (laughs) But but there are people in my life whom I, I, I truly love, and I tell them. But here's the thing. If that love never translates into something more than words, should they believe me? Again it's like a husband and wife relationship if 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 the two of them always just say I love you but they never demonstrate that love towards each other does it really mean anything does it really mean anything I would submit that it doesn't love is not just some fuzzy emotional concept it's something it's an action it's something that we do again one of my one of my f- favorite books I, I say favorite it it's a book I've enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed reading and I give out as as many as I possibly can but uh, Gary Chapman's five love languages and and it's a it's a wonderful book and it talks about how people respond to love how people have a certain love language in other words they that people have this this way that they receive love and 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 the the strategy or not the strategy but the goal is to try to figure out what what that other person so so for instance you know words of affirmation acts of kindness, uh, you know, gifts and time and all these things. They're, they're, all, they're all types of love. And so if, you, if, if your wife is one that enjoys time and you're more verbal and you come home all the time telling her that you love her and, and you go out and hang out with the boys, then pretty soon she's not going to believe that you love her because you're not, hang, you're not spending time. Does that make sense? Again, love is, again, not just something that I say. It's something, it's something that I do. Again, those people that I tell all the time I love them, if I never follow that up by doing something and and showing my love, they have every right to doubt that. You know, it's great to tell someone that you love them, but to show them love is altogether a different matter, altogether a different matter. You know, we can shake our heads and say, you know what, yeah, we ought to to lay down our lives for our brothers and then walk out like nothing's ever changed. You know, I always talk to couples when, I have couples come in. I talk about, uh, you know, Revelation uh, talks about the church that left its first love, and remember what the counsel was. The counsel to that church was to remember, repent, and redo. And and particularly if I find if I have a couple that comes in that's been married several years and they're they're having some strain on the relationship, and so I always ask them. Said, "How in the world did you meet? Where did you meet?" And, in, and when you met, what did you start doing? What did you do? I mean, did you, did you go for long strolls on the beach? Did you go hang out at the park? Did you go hang out? The, what did you do? And, 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 and in doing that, what was it about that person that, that out of all the other people in the world said, this is the one for me? What was it about them? And then you hear them talk about it. You hear them uh, share their discovery of, hey, this is the woman I want to be with. This is the man I want to be with. And then I, I, I kind of let them talk about and reminisce about the good old days. And then I say, what happened? What happened? You did that in the beginning, but you stopped doing that, and this is where you are. Why would you stop that relationship building that you were doing just because you got married? That, why would you stop doing things like that once you got married? So you repent. You know, you repent. You just say, hey, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I allowed life to catch up with me. I'm sorry I allowed life to get so busy that I didn't pay attention to those things that we used to pay attention to, those little little love notes that were stuck on the refrigerator or stuck in a lunchbox or something like that. All of those things help keep the romance alive. Again, I can sit here all day long and say how much I love someone. Well, I think I've told you this before, but when I was doing a men's conference a few years back in West Virginia a district men's conference I was speaking and I I had a bunch of men about 250 men and I uh, made the statement I said I said let me ask you guys a question I said what would you think would happen if I walked into my wife's uh, into the room with my wife and said hey sweetheart I think I'm going to buy an acre on the moon what do you think about that I said what what do you think she would say of course it's a bu- it's a bunch of guys and so they start you know, throwing out these comments and stuff. And I said, I said, I'll tell you exactly what my wife would say. She would say, whatever you think, sweetheart. And I said, that's exactly what she would say. And I said, you know why she would say that? Because for the last, and I think at that time it was seven years, I said, for the last seven years, I have waited on my wife, hand and foot, every single day of her life. I said, I've demonstrated that there is no one ahead of her. There's no one other than my relationship with God. I said, there is no one beside her. I said, I tend to her. I take care of her. I esteem her. I elevate her. I said, that woman knows that this man loves her. And I said, you know what that's done? It causes that lady to trust me. And I said, so if I walked in there and said, hey, I want to buy an acre on the moon, she wouldn't have one negative thing to say about it. She'd just say, whatever you think, sweetheart, because she trusts me. She trusts me enough to make decisions because I've demonstrated my love for her. And I said, some of you guys want to, you want that same level of trust from your wife, but you're not doing anything to earn that kind of trust. Got quiet in that church. See, love is not just random words that we speak. It's what we do day in. And, and day out. Again, love, it, it's great to tell people, you know, that we love them. It's great to shake our head and say, yeah, you know what? We ought to lay down our lives for, for our brothers and then walk out. But John says love, what love does is it sees, again, it goes down to practical terms. This love that he's talking about—it's not something; it's not some feeling or some emotion that that we kind of swish around like mouthwash and then spit out. This type of love that John speaks of is kind of rolling up our sleeves and jumping into action. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. In fact, verse seventeen: Look at what he said. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? In other words, if if I have something and I see a brother, in need, and I don't do anything to respond. How in the world can I say that God's love abides in me? Because love is not just an emotion, it's something that I do. Notice this thing first of all, love sees. Love sees. What does it mean? It means that love doesn't turn a blind eye. Listen, I, I and I understand this, this is this is the the difficulty. If you have a compassionate heart, this is the hard part because, again, everywhere we turn, there are needs all around us. I mean, in fact, there are more needs than you can possibly imagine. Everywhere you go, there's a need. We see people in need. We see people that we are close to that are in need. We see strangers that are in need. Go to the grocery store. Go to Walmart. I mean, there are just needs everywhere. And again, there's so many pleas for help that It's so easy to become, again, compassion overloaded and just feel overwhelmed. You'd be surprised at how many phone calls come into the office on a weekly basis looking for help, support. And you have to be so careful. You know, again, because of the enormity of the needs that are around us, sometimes for our own sanity we feel like we have to shut our eyes, close our eyes off to the need around us. But again, closing our eyes is kind of like the child who thinks that if the monster in the closet can't see him under the covers, the monster's not there. If I close my eyes to the needs around me, do they really disappear? No, they don't. Hurting people around us, what they do is they see the church with their eyes closed but they're still hurting. They still that, that doesn't look much like Jesus. The Bible says when Jesus saw them, he was moved with what? Compassion. He was moved with compassion for the love of God. We have to keep our eyes open. That's why my motto is, again, anything that we anything that I can get, anything I can leverage to serve the community, uh, I I'll, I'll take anything. You know, I'll give away. You know, we gave away Christmas lights the other day. I mean, somebody had a trailer load of Christmas lights they wanted to get rid of, and I was like, we can get rid of them for you. And, I mean, just anything. I, I know that may not meet a particular – it did help out with the budget because they didn't have to go buy them. You know, we do the food. You know, sometimes we get extra loads. We do more food. Uh, I, I mean, again, just, just all kinds of random things. But we got to keep our eyes open. Another So love sees. Number number two, love it, love has pity. Now, the word pity, James, the King James calls it compassion, compassion. Someone once coined, uh, again, the phrase we call that uh, compassion overload, and, and again, the idea behind it is sometimes we see so much pain and so many needs uh, that we kind of start trying to filter it out because we don't want to see so much of it. We walk right past the same homeless person every day but never really see him and never really think about helping him. We may drive past the same mother with her three children walking in the frigid cold every weekend but never stop to offer them a ride. We may know kid, no kids in church that will, will not receive a Christmas gift but never do anything to try to help. I, I You know, I say that, but, but I, I would also have to interject here. We do have such a wonderful church. I mean, every year we have so many people that step up to help uh, families in this time, type of, this time of the year. But it's difficult. We start thinking, well, what can I do? What can I do? I mean, I, I don't have a lot of resources. I don't have a, and, and sometimes rather than, you know, we feel bad and we say, well, you know, I just, my little bit's not going to help. You know, every little bit helps. Here's the thing. Jesus said the poor you're always going to have with you. And, again, he wasn't being very callous. What he was saying is that, you know what, do what you can do. And don't be don't don't fret about what you can't do. And I think that's the truth. We we have to do what we can do, but don't don't fret. And and again, the, all the calls that come in during the week, week in and week out of of help, and these are difficult days. You know, some we can help, some we can't. You do what you can, and you trust that God's speaking to somebody else to do what they can. You know, it's true that we can't do everything. I can't help everyone. This church can't help meet uh, can't meet the need uh, of the entire community. But you know what? We can do something. I can't help everybody, but I can help somebody. And that's what love does. Love to, again. Love it, it has compassion. It sees the need, and it and it does something to rectify. You remember the movie City Slickers? Anybody remember that? It's an old movie. I know City Slickers. The Mitch was played by Billy Crystal, and he was fascinated by. Uh, and actually afraid afraid of the old cowboy. Anybody remember Curly? Eventually, they had this kind of bonding moment. uh, As Mitch expressed his desire, Mitch was looking for happiness. He's looking for happiness and satisfaction in life, and so Mitch asked Curly what it was. And so Curly raised his index finger, and he said one thing, one thing. And so we asked him, he said, what is that one thing? He said, that's it. You have to find that for yourself. Find that one thing. See, we can't help everybody, but we can help someone. We can help someone. We can't give to every need, but we can give to some need. Again, how did Jesus love? He laid down his life. He didn't just say, I love you. He laid down his life. He did something. And that's what love does. That's the the, the walking like Jesus uh, being Christ-like is to love and to put that love into action. What causes, I think about our missionary family that we uh, that, that we have that are spread all over the world. What compels them to go? It's the love in their heart for lost humanity. It causes them to pack up their families. I, they're my heroes because I don't know that I could do what they do. Leave my, you know, I, I hear... Uh, Parents talk about leaving their children at boarding school to go on the mission field or send their kids away to go to school while they're on the mission field. Grandparents leaving their grandchildren while they go on the mission field. That would be a tough assignment. But their love love compels them to do that very thing. See, we can't find someone who, uh, we can all find someone who needs support and we can support them. I think the key to successful ministry isn't trying to do everything. It's finding that one thing that we can do for the love of God and then doing it. Matthew 25, remember what Jesus said? He said, hey, when you've done it unto the least of these, you saw me sick, you saw me in prison, you saw me naked, you saw me hungry, you visited, you took care of me, you fed me, you gave me water. Lord, when, we, when did we do this? When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. See, it's not a big production. That's why I encourage all of our ministries here to find a way to reach out within their own ministry. It's not a big production. Yeah, we do productions, but it's not a big production. Love is just simply serving. Again, I'll jump on my soapbox here for a minute, but if you watch Christian television, And, and again, I I don't want you to read between the lines, but the motivation that the preacher or the speaker gives for sending funds is that if you'll send me your seed offering, God's going to do what? Give you a harvest of offerings or bless you financially. And then if you don't send it, then God's not going to bless you. That's a pretty lousy motivator, right? Scripture never tells us to give in order to give. What we do, we don't do for money. You know, we're not calculating our love in dollars and cents. And here some of them talk that if we don't send them, a, uh, you know, a $500 seed offering, then we're not going to have food for the next month. That's a, that's a lousy motivator. We give, we give what we give and we do what we do for the love of God. And again, Jesus, he does talk about the law of reciprocity. He said in, in Luke chapter 6, give and it shall be given unto you. But the motivator is not to give in order to get. That's not the motivator. It's for the love of God that we give to do what we can. And in return, He gives back to us. Third characteristic of this type of love, again, it, it sees, it, it, it has compassion. And the third one is it does what it says. <laughs> it does what it says it'll do. Verse 18 says Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Again, what is he saying there? He's saying, you know what, this type of love, this agape type love, it's not lip service. Again, it's not just just tooting our own horn and talking about how much we love. You know, it's easy to say that we'll do something and then never follow through. I know when I, was a, when I, when I had children, when our children were small, I really worked hard on this one because it's so easy to promise your child something to get them to hush. Isn't, it, isn't that true? You know, you just want to give in and say, okay, okay. But I was convicted over that one time, and so I started answering my children. Instead of saying, okay, we'll do it, I would always say, okay, we'll we'll see if we can't get that done. I didn't want to make a concrete statement because, again, my love for them I didn't want to give them false hope. I wanted what I said to mean something. I wanted them to be able to say, well, Dad said we would do it, and then we did it. Again, love is not about, this type of love is not about lip service. It's not about just saying something and then following, uh, and then failing to follow through. It's about saying something and then following through. You know, I can tell my friends all day long that I love them, but if I never put it into action, then there's nothing more than random words. I never had that expression of love. It's just random words. I know, I know there are times when, uh, and, and, and this is the part that's really difficult because if you have a compassionate and kind heart, listen, there will be people that will take advantage of you. We lived, when we lived in Germany, our landlord uh, took care of American uh, GI's children. Uh, she babysat a couple kids. And we lived in the third floor of their of their house. Uh, they had an apartment up on the third floor, and that was where Sheila and I lived, and so we'd have to go in through their living room <laughs> and go up the spiral staircase to get to our apartment, and uh, I remember one day I, we we came in, and she said, can I talk to you a minute? Her name was Irene, and I said, yes, ma'am, she, and it, what happened was there was a lady that worked at the uh, the dental clinic there on base that would bring her child early in the morning, and then most often would never come on time to pick the child up would say hey i'm going to go out with the with the girls or the office people and i'll be there and would go many hours over what was contracted and to be paid for and would never offer any more compensation and she said i just she said, I just don't know what to do about it and and i said well i mean you have a couple of options you could tell her to find somebody else <laughs> well i don't want to do that i i really love this child and i enjoy spending time. And I said, well, then you could also sit down with her. She said, I've already done that. And I said, well, I said, Irene, here's the deal. I said, you have a kind heart. I said, you have a kind heart. And I said, the problem is there will always be people that will take advantage of your kind heart. And I said, so you can either nip it in the bud and tell her to find somebody else, or you just make peace with the fact that you're going to be taken advantage of because you are a good person. And I think sometimes for us, we have to be very careful because there are going to be people, if you have a kind and compassionate heart, there are going to be times that you're going to feel like you're being used. You, it's just it. I know I have. You know, there have been times I felt like I had friends who only, they were only my friends because of what they perceived I might be able to do for them. But you know what? In the end, love conquers all. <laughs> love conquers all. You know, it's it's better not to promise and then do it than to promise to do it and not do it, right? Again, that's what Jesus said uh, of the two sons in the parable of Matthew 21. The first son said he would not work in the vineyard, remember? He said, I'm not going to go out there and work. But then he did. And the second son said, yeah, I'll go out there and work, and he didn't. (laughs) It's better never to make a commitment and then do it than to make a commitment and not do it. See, the love that John is speaking about doesn't necessarily make a lot of promises, but it does come through with its actions. It doesn't give lip service. It makes a promise. It keeps it. It follows through. For the love of God, if you make a vow, keep that vow. Let's look at the third thing. What does love feel? What does love feel? Again, I'm not talking about the feelings of being loved, but the feeling of giving love. I have joy in serving my wife. There's a <coughs> pardon me, there's a, there's a dimension of love I never knew existed, apart from her having her stroke. I enjoy serving her. I'll, she'll get me cracked up. I can, have a, I can have a rotten day, just you know, rotten. I mean, I could have one of those days where it just seemed like nothing lined up. and you go home frustrated. And there she sits with a smile on from ear to ear, and you're trying to tell her something, and she's just laughing. And after a while, just you just start laughing too. <laughs> My house is like a zoo a circus, I promise you, it really is. <laughs> but I mean, giving that love away does something inside of us. It's like people that come and say, Pastor, I'm I'm depressed, I'm stressed, and I always say, Go serve go find some place to be involved, come out to give out food or go to Operation Blessing or go to the pregnancy center and volunteer for a little bit, all of a sudden our whole attitude changes. There's something about giving. See, God made us to be conduits, not reservoirs. He pours in as we pour out. That's how he created us. And the more we pour out, the more he pours in, and the more joy and satisfaction we have in life, Listen, when we are honest and when we when the love of God dwells in us and works through us, there's there's something happens. Look at what John said in verse 19. He said, Then this then is how we know that we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. He said, This is what happens. When you start, for the love of God, start doing these things. And and, and he said, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Listen, our hearts can condemn us all day long, but if we're loving for the love of God, our hearts are at peace and at rest with him. When we are faithfully doing what we do for the love of God, we have confidence. We have confidence that we belong to the truth and that our faith is real. The second part of that is this knowledge brings peace to our heart because we know that we are in his presence. When I'm serving out of out, out of loyalty and love, I'm at peace. That's why I love I guess that's why I like to be busy. That's why I like to be out. You know, I I, I listened to that guy the other day or or saw that where that guy won two what it was, two billion dollars or whatever on a lottery. I, I thought, God, do you know how much I could do with that? Man, can you imagine the giveaways that we could have? The missionaries that we could support, the orphanages that we could build—you know—do what you can. Don't dream about what you can't do. Listen, we do not have. Here's the thing. Here's the third part of that. There's no condemnation if we're doing out of the love of God what we're doing. Be- when we when we somehow think we're not doing enough. Listen, when I'm doing what I do for the love of God, I'm at peace, I'm at rest, and I'm not being condemned. Listen, the enemy, does, he loves to play those tricks on us, say, well, if you love God, you'd do more. If you really love God, you'd give more. If you really love God, you'd serve more. Listen, when you're serving and doing what you can do, you're at peace and at rest, and there is no condemnation in that. Now, if we're not doing anything, then there there <laughs> there might be a little bit of that, you know, so let me ask you: Have you found that one thing? Again, I know I'm here. I'm on Wednesday night speaking to a core group of our our church, and those are online tonight. But have have you found that one thing? Have you found that 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 thing that God designed you for? I uh, everybody asked me how did how in the world do you stay in Cleburne so long? I said, well, you know, when I got here, it was like uh, you ever had gloves that didn't fit. You know, they're they're just not really useful. I said, but when you get a glove that fits, when that hand slides up in there and and you're able, I said, that's, that's the way I felt. When I, when, when I came, I said it was like a glove just fit on my hand. And I said, and everything that has happened since uh, 1993 has been working with the glove that has fit so well. And I said, the glove still fits. It still fits. I found that one thing. That one thing that motivates me to get up in the morning. That one thing that motivates me to go to bed at night. That one thing that motivates me to, to, to work hard and to, and to pour my life into, into ministry. I found that one thing. What's your one thing? You know, Jesus met that rich young ruler. Remember, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. He'd been faithful, he said, to the letter of the law. He had kept the commandments. He was anticipating Jesus patting him on the back and affirming him. <laughs> Instead, Jesus looked at him and said, you know what? You still lack one thing. See, he had one thing, but he hadn't found it. He said, go sell everything you own and give it to the poor. He said, then you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. But that was one thing he couldn't do. See, for the love of God, if there's one thing you need to do to confirm and affirm that love for God, then do it. Then do it. Tom, how long have you been teaching that Sunday school class? Since 1994. Still going strong. Great Sunday school class if you need a Sunday school class, by the way. He found that one thing and does it so well. Rosetta, I, was happy, I happened to be going through some pictures a minute ago, and my granddaughter found a stack of pictures, and I had one of you sitting at the piano <laughs> playing, as she did so well, so many years. What's your one thing? Don't wait until we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ to say, you know what, I never did discover that one thing. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew 25, and I think it's important. Again, I already, I already mentioned what he said. He, he said, depart from me, who you are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. And he goes on, and this is where he says, he said, you know what, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. See, this is the flip side. There are people who find that one thing, and they serve Because of the love of God. But then there are people that never find that one thing. They never start serving for the love of God. And he said, you know what? I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you never did look after me. See, the flip side of that is true. When I do it to the least of them, I've done it unto him. But if I refuse to do it to the least... I'm refusing to do it to him. You know, we don't hear many messages these days about just serving. I I love to see people just take initiative just to go out and serve. In fact, here in a couple weeks, we did this several years ago. Some of you might remember, but I'm going to have some volunteers that I'm going to have an assignment for them to go out and do something for the love of God and then come back and tell us about it. This time of year, I think people are looking for answers they're looking for hope. How many seen our new sign, by the way? Anybody seen that new sign yet? So if you're driving eastbound on Henderson, right there by Goodwill, look up. It's a new our new Christmas uh, uh, billboard. Thank you. I'm I trying to think of the word our Christ, our Christmas billboard, and it just says just Jesus, just Jesus. There's people today that just need Jesus, and for the love of God, we ought to be out there introducing. I love the shepherds during the, during the announcement. They said, let us go at once. <laughs> you know, don't, don't piddle around. Let's go at once and see this thing. What is it you need, what is it that you need to be doing today for the love of God? And if you already know what it is, are you doing it? Don't you stand with me this evening. For the love of God, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is of God. We can still change our world for the love of God. And, and, and I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Love doesn't condone what he condemns. But love does not beat people over the head. Love speaks the truth. And allows the Holy Spirit to do what needs to be done. We again, I, I I pray I pray often because we live in such a a powder keg society that if you don't if you don't acquiesce to their 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 leanings, then you're some t- somehow hate them or just be true to Him and show love and compassion and let Him worry about those other things. There are going to be people that will not reciprocate. There will be people that won't receive. I remember the time I tried to buy lunch. I've shared that with you many times. I tried to buy lunch for a whole restaurant. As people came, and just everybody in there accepted except one man. He said, nope, I'm a self-made man. You're not buying my lunch. I said, well, man, I'm not trying to baptize you in the parking lot. I just want to bless you and buy you your lunch. That's what I told him. He said, nope. Ain't nobody ever did nothing for me, and you're not going to start. Said, whatever. It's, funny, it's kind of funny. This Catholic uh, Catholic cashier got mad at him. <laughs> She's like, I don't understand. Why will you? But anyway, not everybody's going to want you to bless them. Not everybody wants you to. But for the love of God, show compassion. See the need. Show compassion. Have pity. And represent him. Don't you bow with me this morning or this evening <laughs> as we close. Love is a very difficult concept because our world preaches one message of love. It's ooey-gooey, mushy. Jesus demonstrates a whole different concept of love. It's not so much in what it sees. It's what it does. It's not what it says. It's what it does. You here tonight or maybe you're online tonight. Say, you know what, Pastor, I, I want to learn that depth, the depth of that love. I want to be able to walk in that love, to love as he first loved me. Just pray for me tonight, especially as we move into this Christmas season, you know, tempers are you know, with the inflation and with elections and all these things, every, everybody seems to be on edge. Just pray that for the love of God, I can show kindness and compassion to those I run across on a daily basis. If that's you, just slip in right right back down. If you're online, if you'll comment today. May God help our love quotient. That's my prayer. Help our love quotient. Father, tonight I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the opportunity just to to study, Lord, portraits of your life. Lord, this is how we know what love is, that you laid down your life for us while we were yet sinners. Lord, in that manner we ought to lay down our lives for our, our friends, our brothers and sisters. Lord, esteem them, to prefer them, to serve them. Lord, help us to know that love is not words that we speak, it's things that we do. And Lord, help us to expand our love quotient. I, sp- I pray especially as we move into the, to the Christmas season, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Lord, everybody will, there'll, there'll be people that will be heightened in their sensitivities. Tensions perhaps will be high. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be a temperance. Lord, you said we're to be salt. And I pray salt will have its will be noticed in, in our community. Lord, help us to just shine a, a light of hope, just Jesus. Lord, help us to represent just Jesus in our, in our community, Lord. And I pray that you would just fill us with your love and for the love of God, may we see and may we do something about the plight of those around us as we are able. And then, Father, as we do what we can do, may we not be condemned by what we can't do. Lord, help us to resist the temptation of the enemy to feel bad when we're not able to do something. Uh, Lord, when we feel like we ought to. Now, I ask you to go with us, and give us a great night. Uh, Lord, a great time tomorrow with the seniors' luncheon. And uh, Lord, should you, Terry, on Sunday, bring us ready once again to study or to, to hear your word. I pray you ordain uh, right now what's going to take place. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and bless each one now. In Jesus' name, And we all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. <laughs>